Lord, may you just set and seal something in our hearts that only you can do. You've already started helping us realise in the past half hour quite who you are and quite what the answer to the questions in this life is all about. It's all about you. Lord, help that kind of set in concrete, if you like, in what we're about to hear. Come and speak to us as individuals and as a body of people that we might move forward in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, we're at the final, uh, the final part of eight. Of We've been working through, we've been waving it around at the front quite a bit, this redep- book, Redemption by Mike Wilkerson, a pastor from Seattle. It's a very good book. I've now finished my copy. Again, like Julian said last week, if you want to borrow our copies, you're more than welcome. But we're now on the final part. And... Julian, actually, you might think this is a bit weird. Julian preached from Exodus 34 last week. I'm now preaching from Exodus 33. It helps set the scene for what we're, we're the best place to finish this story. And it's because... Have I just lost that? There's something going on. It keeps rustling, doesn't it? We, uh, Ju- Julian presented about um, God being our only hope. We place our hope in a lot of things, but actually, ultimately, we need to place our hope in Him. And that actually helps set the scene for what goes on in the same conversation... With, between God and the people in Exodus chapter 33. So it might look a bit weird, we're preaching from the one before, but it's all part of the same conversation. And this is a great place to land on. But first of all, before we look at that, what do your dreams and your fantasies look like? What are the things you dream of? Dreaming of a better day. What did you dream of when you were growing up, what you wanted to be? It's a question we asked ourselves in growth group just a couple of weeks ago. There was a, an insurance company did a survey of tradespeople and asked them, what did you want to be when you were growing up? And 17% of them said they dreamed of sports stardom. Classic one, isn't it? 10% wanted to be a singer or a musician. 8% wanted to be an astronaut. Of course they did. That was me once. 3% wanted to be a pirate. I love that. I think that's brilliant. I want to be, I want to be a pirate. I love that. But same growth group, we asked the same question during one of our welcome sections. And... Uh, as we went around the room, we had a couple of police officers, we had a lawyer, we had a helicopter pilot, we had a vet. And of us adults in the room, none of us were doing the job we once dreamed of doing when we were growing up, which was quite interesting. And I think that helps illustrate a point that when we're growing up, we think we know what will make us happy. Actually, of course, life is very different, reality sets in, circumstances may change, or our only hearts and our dreams change as well. And actually, what we think we know best, this is where I'll be happy, actually, in hindsight, when you get there, actually, maybe not. And actually, that helps us realise the things we dream of now that will make us content and help fulfil us, maybe they won't. It's interesting. Maybe in 30 years' time, we'll look back and go, why on earth did I want to do that? That won't fulfil me. We can have the old, the, the kind of sentiment that I'll be happy when I finally find my soulmate, when I fall in love. And then you meet that person and you think, I'm really happy, but I'll be really happy when we get married. And then you get married. And you think, well, this is great, but we'll be really happy when, now we're married, we get our own dream house as well. But then you get the house and it's like, I'll be really, really happy when we furnish it and decorate it our way and it's a home, not a house. But then we'll be really happy, now we're there, when we get Kids. And then you have kids and you're thinking, this is brilliant, but we'll be really, really happy when they grow up. <laughs> and, then, and then they grow up and you think this is great, but we'll be really happy when they move out. 
And then you start thinking, I'll be really happy when I retire. Our dreams keep changing. We keep thinking and deciding what we know is best and what will make us happy. And when we get there, it's never enough, is it? It's never enough and it's never satisfying. Next question. This is going to be a morning of questions. What kind of things are you looking forward to in heaven? No sin, no shame, no sickness, no stress. Your dreams of what heaven might look like and what you're looking forward to, will it be much different if God is there or not? It's worth asking, isn't it? What is it you're dreaming of? See, it can be the same about our dreamed of futures in this life. We, can, we want to be free of addictive behaviour. We want to be free from crippling self-esteem, self-doubt, self-doubt issues. We want to be free from pain. We want to be free, free from abuse. We want to be free from stress. We want to be free from these things. That's all legitimate and all valid. But while all of that is very appealing, God may not feature so highly in our fantasies sometimes. We want the things and not the giver. And that's what today is all about. Today's finale in the Exodus story is about how God presents something to God's people and gives them a big wake-up call. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 33. Just remember, these people have been brought out of slavery in an amazing, miraculous way. Provided for in the desert, God has clearly made himself known to them and proved how powerful he is above all things. And yet they still think they know better, they still moan, they still make a calf made of gold that they want to worship instead of him. And now all they want is this promised land. They're just, why, why not? We're not there yet. We'd be better off in slavery. We, we haven't got this land flowing with milk and honey. And this is what God says to them The Lord said to Moses, Moses was their middleman. Their spokesman, if you like. The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you. And I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Ouch. You want that land flowing with milk and honey? You think that's what will make you happy? Is that what you're waiting for? When you get there, you'll be happy? You can have it. I won't be there. That's horrifying, isn't it? He's holding up a mirror to their hearts and saying, you really think that's what's going to make you happy? There you go. But you're missing out on the true treasure. Imagine how you'd feel if you heard God saying the same to us now. Would you question it? Would it make sense? Would it hit home? How innocent are we of this same accusation, actually, is what I want to look at this morning. I'm going to ask a series of kind of diagnostic questions. Just keep it at three, just for time. But I want to look at some false promised lands we can cherish in our hearts. I'll be happy when. See if Holy Spirit just speaks to us this morning. We're going to look at some false promised lands. We're going to look at the true promised land before we land. Before we land. No pun intended. First question. These are quite heavy questions, but I think we mustn't shy away from asking them. What kind of false promised lands do we cherish in our hearts? First question. What do your prayers for you tend to look like? Because if you keep coming back to the same kind of things, they can be quite enlightening about what it is we cherish in our hearts. It might be promotion, it might be a career, it might be getting married, it might be not being married. It might be having kids, it might be not having kids. It might be having more money, 
It might be being free from addictive behaviour. Keep returning to habitual sins that you just can't get out of. You want, you want to be free from that. And as much as they are all valid requests, God doesn't tell us not to ask him for things. He does. But as much as they can be valid things, if we keep returning to them, and they, they are the things that eat us up, they can be saying, I will be happy when I get that, when I leave there, when I arrive there, when I acquire those, when I lose that. And our prayers reveal our hearts. Our prayers show where our hearts lie and we ask for what we treasure. There's an American preacher and pastor called R.T. Kendall. And he says, I worry about so many Christians who don't want more of God, they want more from God. Ooh. I feel that. Is that us? Is that you? Is that me? Because this is about treating God as a means to an end. We're all liable to do it. I know friends who got married because, for one of them, the, the one we're closest to, she got married because of, primarily, in the majority, because of the lifestyle that her new spouse offered. Very, very rich. And that was, there's a promised land there. Look at this lifestyle I'm going to get out of this marriage. And very, very quickly, there's little or no intimacy going on. The relationship is just falling apart. But it's all about this lifestyle that it brings. And now, and now that marriage has fallen apart, her promised land is still, I'll be happy when I can maintain the lifestyle and get as much money out of this as I possibly can. It's not out of bitterness for revenge, it's about wanting to keep the lifestyle up, thinking that's what will make her happy. The love and the companionship had just hardly ever been there at all in the first place. It was all about what came with it. It was about a means to an end out of this relationship. And now that seals the same thing, is still being cherished. Now it's fallen apart. It's really sad, but we can do exactly the same. Our marriage to God will stumble our relationship with him will stumble if we don't see him as the true treasure. The relationship being the treasure, not the stuff we get out of it. Throughout my adulthood, I've, I've harboured all these kind of things in my heart. I'll be happy when I get a wage rise. Then you get a wage rise, but I'll be even happier if I get another one. I've looked at my bosses. I know what pay grades my bosses were in in the ambulance service. And I look at my team leader's pay grade and think, oh... What I could do with that? Maybe I'd be a team leader. And then look at my station officer's pay grade and I'm thinking, oh. And then his boss, I could do that. Look at that money. I wasn't interested in the job. I was more interested in the wage packet. And then the bigger house and the bigger car, the extra car and all the gadgets and all the shinies. It's ridiculous. And it ate me up because I wasn't there. So I'm not happy now. I'll only be happy when I get there. These are all things I've had to learn to lay to rest over the years. I'll be content when I put weight on and look like everyone else. <laughs> Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Exactly. Because wherever you're at, you're never happy. So it does. It goes, it, goes, it goes the other way around. I know. Absolutely. The other week, I had three dinners one night. I was still starving. But <laughs> nothing. I did. But nothing. Maybe I've got worms. I don't know. But it's got to the point where I've learnt to not care. I used to hate going swimming because I didn't want people to see my skinny little rake of a body. Now I don't go swimming because I just don't enjoy it. I'd rather have a coffee and read a book. <laughs> but I don't care if I'm going swimming in centre parks this week. I don't care. I'm going to go and have fun. I'm not bothered about what I look like. But for years it hit me up. 
for years because I wanted to be like everyone else and not be a skinny rake. I wanted to have all the muscle. I did bodybuilding routines. Ha! <laughs> Laugh. <laughs> Nothing happened. <laughs> but it ate me up. It really did. But that's the problem. It was eating me up. It just consumed me. I will be happy when I put another two stone on. I've put on one stone since I got married. 22 years, one stone. I'm well proud of myself. But it doesn't make you happy to put weight on. It doesn't make you happy to lose weight, ultimately. These things can help. But is it your promised land? I will be happy when I get there. It's different. It's okay to want to put some weight on. It's okay to want to get fit. It's okay to want to lose some weight. That's not a problem at all. But is that what you cherish? Is that your treasure? I will be happy when I get that and nothing else. I write books. I love selling books on Amazon. But I will be happy, for, for years I've thought, I'll be happy when I sell thousands of my novels or one of my books gets made into a Hollywood film. Then I'll be happy. It's all pie in the sky. It's ridiculous. People have read my books. We talk about who will play who. Nicole Kidman would be great at such and such. It's, it's ridiculous. But actually you start harboring, I'll be really happy and I'll feel fulfilled as a person if that happened. And God's standing behind me going, hello, I'm over here. I value you already. You're mine. What do you want all this stuff for? Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Does it matter? You've got me. We just be looking in the other direction all the time, can't we? What do your prayers, your regular prayers for you tend to look like? You'll be quite enlightening. Learning to be thankful for the treasure I have in a father who provides for me, who knows what's best for me who made me a certain shape. Got to remember this, didn't we? Who gave me certain gifts and not others. And trusting he's got my back all the time. He knows what's best for me. If I want other stuff, I'm despising what he's given me and what he knows for me. And these questions will overlap. So there, there is about a, a treasure in him. God is a means to an end. Here's another question that's in the same field, but it's a bit more... Penetrating. I asked someone this question this, just this week and they didn't like it in a good way. It hit home. Do you, do you see God as beautiful or useful? Do you see God as beautiful or do you see God as useful? You love God because he's a help in crisis. You love God because he gives you a means of finding purpose in this life. You love God because you're seeking a change in your circumstances. You love God because you see him as a path to becoming different and changing that you can't do yourself. Those can be valid things again, but our attitude to God can stop there because of what you're getting from him rather than you're getting him. Our relationship with him can falter when we get those things. Oh, I'm happy now, thanks, see you later. We can do that, can't we? And in fact, sticking with God in order to get the things you ask for is tantamount to Christian witchcraft. It's a control thing. We've got to be very, very careful where our hearts are lying in this and what we cherish. It's all about us then and not about him. If you're a Christian mainly because you want to be changed, that's a problem. Think about it. If you gave your life to him because you're tired of yourself and you want to be different, you're using God to fix you. We need to ask ourselves these questions. So that's not love of God, that's love of self, isn't it? One of the most dangerous places to be is, in fact, kind of, it's in this same field, one of the most dangerous places to be is in the time of comfort, when things are going well. 
We think everything's all right, Jack, and that's when our guard is down. We can become complacent and assuming. We think, I don't need God now because things are swimming along quite nicely. We can do that. When things are going easy, I can find myself drifting away from him and I suddenly run back when things are hard. I'm treating him as someone who doles out the good stuff when I need it. A good weapon that helps counter that is thankfulness. Conscious thankfulness is actually a weapon. It's a ninja sword in the spiritual realm, in the good times and the bad. Constant thankfulness, conscious thankfulness. Because it teaches us three things. Firstly, when things are going well, it teaches us we didn't achieve it. Look around, being grateful to God for all you've got, you realise, I didn't achieve all this. My friendships and my home and my job, and it's just, I, di- I didn't manufacture that, he gave it to me. Helps us remember that. Helps us remember when things are going well, we didn't achieve it. Secondly, reminds us that it's not the things we dream of that fulfil us, but the giver. We need to keep stepping back and going, hang on a minute, what is it I'm harbouring? That won't make me happy. Only the giver will make me happy. And thirdly, so when things don't go so well, when circumstances do change, when we're in the desert, it helps us recognise that God hasn't changed in his goodness at all. He's just got a different story to tell us in that moment, a different lesson to teach us, but he's got our back. Rather than, well, who's he think he is? He's not giving me what I asked for. I've gone off him now. We can do that sometimes, can't we? Thankfulness appreciates the seasons and diminishes the devil's opportunities to sidetrack us into grumbling or thinking the things we want will fulfil us again. We go back there. Ah, see, God didn't help me out. I'll be really happy when I get that career, that money, that person. Third question. Is there a sin that you have made peace with that robs your enjoyment with God? Battling temptation can be hard, can't it? And each of us have got different sins that we harbour or we keep returning to over the years in different ways. We're all different. Or you may be surprised to find you're not the only person in the room with that. But we can be thinking, it's the way I'm wired. I can't, I can't fight this anymore. I can't help it. I don't have the strength to keep fighting it. It'll be easier if I just give in. I know I'm saved. It'll be all right. Give up the battle. You can be tempted to pack it in because you don't want the long, hard fight. It's a temptation for all of us in different places. You can be thinking to yourself, I'll find better rest by giving up and living the easy life. Enjoying certain sins, that'll give my soul rest. And for a while it'll feel like it. But it won't last long. It'll devour us. Sin is insidious and always lies. And actually the attitude, I'm saved anyway... Why should I have to keep battling? I might as well just give in and enjoy because I'm saved, I've got my ticket to heaven. That's abusing God's grace. That's abusing Father's good mercy and favour over you. The things he's given us. That's tossing him in a cesspit. Thanks for that. See you later. That's what we do. There's a little story in the back of this book about a young girl called Kate. It's just a brief one. It's quite sad, but as much as we may not be able to relate directly to the situation she's in, it's the same thing that can go on in all of our hearts. This is what happens. Kate was depressed and had cried every day for months. She groaned that God seemed so far from her. You see, Kate had grown up in a Christian home and had vowed to keep her virginity. She wore a promise ring. But when her boyfriend, whom she thought she would marry, 
broke up with her, she sank. She placed all her, her promised land was her boyfriend and getting married, you see. When he broke up with her, she sank. And in her resulting loneliness and desperation, she succumbed to a one-night stand with some guy at a party. She tried to find it somewhere else. All she wanted to be was with her ex-boyfriend again. She couldn't get over his absence in her life. He was her golden calf. He was her substitute for the presence of God. He was her promised land. The fact is that given the chance, she would have run back to him and away from God. But since the boyfriend wouldn't have her, and because she wouldn't put her sin to death to make way for God's presence, she lost both. That's where the story stops. You never find out what happened to her. It's really sad. If we don't get what we get out of God, we can go right off him and actually miss out on the greatest treasure of all. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15. That's a really helpful. That's not a, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So keep my commandments so you love me. Keeping his commandments doesn't make you love him. That's a doing, not being. He's asking a question of you. If you love me, you'll be keeping my commandments. So just ask yourself, how obedient are you being? Even in the battle, even when it's tough, relying on him for strength, resisting temptation. The Lord's prayer says, lead us not into temptation. We can ask him for help. But being obedient demonstrates where our hearts are and shows us that we do love him after all. Do you keep his commandments? It's not legalism. The more you keep his commandments, the more you love him. No, the more you love him, the more you keep his commandments. It's different. Very, very, very different. You may not be able to lose your salvation. If you've given your life to Christ, you are saved. But does your life honour God and bring him glory? Ask yourself that because that will show you where your heart is at, even as a believer. just shows you what your dreamed of promised land looks like. Is it him? Or is it someone or something else? It's purely relational, isn't it? So the true promised land isn't a place. The true promised land isn't a thing. The true promised land is him. So let's just look at Jesus before we finish. Let's look at him. You see, it's not the things we get out of him that is the promised land. This land flowing with milk and honey. It's not the things. It's not the stuff. It's him. You get peace and hope and joy and right standing before God. You recognize these aren't just things. We get him. Let me explain. Peace. Jesus doesn't just give us peace. We don't just get peace from him. He is our peace. Colossians 1 verse 20. It says, And through him to reconcile Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Heaven and earth have been at war since the, uh, since the first days. And it's Jesus who has reconciled all things by his blood on the cross in our place. If you, if you place your faith in him, you are drawn into that amazing reconciliation of heaven and, heaven and earth back together again in Jesus. And that peace is in him. It's his blood. He is our peace. Which, might, which means as a believer you can't lose it because it's not a thing. It's a person who is unending, who is eternal, who is good. So you can't lose it. But we don't always experience it, do we? 
See, our country, the UK, we're at peace. As a nation, we're at peace. But it doesn't always look or feel like it. So only a few years ago, some riots seemed to break out of nowhere, literally overnight, didn't they? And some of the stuff we saw on the internet, some of the videos of the way people treated each other just before and just after the Brexit vote, sickening. How can man talk to another man like that? It's horrible. It seemed to come out of nowhere. It didn't come out of nowhere. It was there all along. Just the dam burst for a moment. It's there all the time. It's simmering all around us. There is no peace around us. We're a nation at peace. Legally, we're at peace, but we don't always experience it. It's the same as a Christian. You can be legally at peace with God, but we don't always step into and fully grasp it because we cherish something else entirely. Suddenly, the cog's out of sync again. It's relational. It's about a person who has reconciled us by his work once and for all, bound by a covenant, an eternal promise that he will never let go of. The contract is one-sided. He signed it. All we have to do is step into it, and he will not let go of us. But we can still be looking the other way. Oh, shiny. That's the danger. He doesn't just give us joy either. He is our joy. John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Not that you get some joy out of this. My joy may be in you. Joy is more than a feeling. Primarily, it's a state of mind. It's a place. It's not affected by outward circumstances. In Christ, you can know joy in the worst of times. Who here can put their hands up to terrible times they've been through and they've known his joy? There you go, there you go, the hands. Look at that, isn't that amazing? It's not, oh, happy, happy, joy, joy, I'm having a terrible time. That's frivolous. It's not that at all. It's a deep-seated life joy. The word blessed, to be blessed, truly means to experience life joy. There's something deep-seated and concrete and solid you can only know in Christ. And when David, King David, when he wrote Psalm 51, he'd been caught out in some terrible, terrible sin. It was a spiral of depravity and he gets caught out. And he, thankfully he falls forward in repentance and in worship. He's like, oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm just, I'm a worm. And he falls forward in repentance. And what does he say? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's not make me happy again. And it's not even restore to me the joy of my salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's his. Give me that joy back. Jesus doesn't just give us joy. He is our joy. He is also our right standing before God. He doesn't just give us right standing before God. He is our right standing before God. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. And there was so much in this verse I could preach again. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, or right standing, and sanctification, being made holy, and redemption, being set free from slavery. Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, right standing, and being made holy, and being set free from slavery. He is our right standing. He doesn't just give it to us. He is. He gives us a legal standing before God, that is only secure in him because he took our place. It's all only possible in him. That's just what we were hearing earlier. And so, this is where the Israelites were presented with a question, what is your promised land really? You think you'll be happy when you get that? You can have it. 
but I'm not going with you. If that's where your heart's at. That's a scary notion for us as well. God says to us, what is it you're cherishing? If you think you'll make that, that'll make you happy, the scariest thing will be then if he gives it to you. Does his presence come with it? Or do you want more of him? Let's just look at the Israelite story. We've been spending eight weeks looking at how the Exodus story unlocks areas of slavery in our own lives. Getting Egypt out of the people was the problem once they were out of there, wasn't it? The same for us, is getting the old self out of our new self. Our old self is dead in Christ. You are now a new creation, new life. Your old self is dead, but it's like a zombie. It still keeps coming after you, doesn't it? It doesn't want to let go. And so we can still approach this whole process with the attitude, I'll be happy when God fixes this, and when he heals that, and when he takes me away from there. Other things are on offer as part of the package. He's a good God who wants to share us with gifts. That is true. But if they're what we come to him for, we've got a problem. And he simply asks how we'll feel if we get all of that and he's not there. See, walking into a promised land is just like with the Israelites. They were living in a victory, seized by God. It's an amazing victory, drawing them out of slavery. And he did that by the blood of the Lamb. During the Passover, when all the firstborn of the land, the final miracle, all the firstborn of the land were killed, the angel passed over, those that had the blood of the lamb on their homes, they were safe. They were his people. The blood of the lamb was securing them, keeping them safe. And once they were out with the rich provision of Egypt's plunder in their pockets, they were rich. Got to take it with them. And they were given bread, heavenly bread, in the desert to eat so they wouldn't go hungry. They had a pillar of cloud by day and of fire at night to show them the way, to guide them, to lead them, to show them the way forward. They weren't home yet, but God had given them everything they needed for the journey. And yet, they were still on this teetering on this knife edge of falling into the trap of des- desiring this amazing new place of rest without treasuring the giver even more. And the same goes for us. As believers, we are rescued, living in a victory, seized by Jesus over our slave masters' sin and death. You are legally free from that. We can still keep stepping back because we think we'll be happy though, don't we? It's a victory secured by his own blood, the blood of the Lamb. And we have rich provision in both the good times and the bad. We have Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to show us the way. It's exactly the same story. We aren't home yet, but God has provided us everything we need for the journey. And yet, we too can still be teetering on this knife edge of falling into desiring this amazing new place of rest without treasuring the giver himself. Which is why this one's safe for last. We've been talking about some really valid stuff and breaking free from things. It's brilliant. Apply it to your own lives. Talk about it amongst you. Come, you join the group in the new year if necessary, however you want to do it. Let's see it being worked out. But if that's our end goal, we've got it wrong. He needs to be our end goal. Because the good news is the people did enter the promised land with God. After he and Moses battled it out and they talked it through people were presented with this new covenant God was testing their hearts and he's testing ours now he's asking us the same questions as we work through what it means to be free to experience release and enjoy liberty are the release and liberty our promised lands or is he do we want more do we want what we can get from him or do we want more of him if you'd like to stand we're just going to sing a song